Let us be enamored with your word right now. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a, uh, a Roman military triumphal procession was one of the most amazing things that you could watch uh, in ancient times. It was uh, granted to a conqueror, a general or whatever, uh, only when he had complied with like a whole, like a, a, well, a short list of things, of conditions in battle. Um, The victory that he won had to be complete. It had to be decisive. It had to be over a foreign foe. Right? It had to be, uh, there had to be at least 5,000 of the enemy slayed in one battle. It's kind of whatever. Um, he, uh, the, the conquest should be uh, one that extended their territory, should extend the boundaries of Rome, right? And um, it put, it, in that battle, that conquest should have ended the war. So if all five of those things were met, there was like a giant procession. And when, when the Senate agreed on all those conditions, they would put this date out and they would appoint this date for this giant pageant in the city. And people would crowd the streets. People would just flood the streets. And the temples were decorated with, um, you know, with flowers and incense burned on every altar. And all these fragrant odors of burning incense and burning spices were scattered throughout the city and all throughout the temples. And and all along the streets, and it would fill the air with this perfume, this wonderful perfume as people, you know, kind of watch this procession. And in this procession um, were the Senate and were also the citizens of the state, the, the sort of the chief citizens of the state. And they would be out there marching in this, and uh, their presence would be an honor to the conqueror, you know, to this general. And the richest spoils of war would be uh, paraded down the streets as a gift to him for, you know, expanding the kingdom of Rome and all that kind of stuff. And he would be on this, gi- this giant chariot you know, drawn by four horses out front. I tried to find a picture of it, but there wasn't really a good picture. Uh, and um, his, his robe would be embroidered with gold. Uh, his tunic would be covered with flowers, things like that. And in his right hand, there would be a, now I'm going to mispronounce a word. You ready? A laurel bow, laurel bow. What is it? Bow. Thank you. I learned something today. I knew, I knew as soon as I got to that word, I'm like, they're going to tell me it's wrong. But um, in his right hand would be a scepter, Right. And uh, on his head would be this sort of wreath of Delphic laurel. I mean, it was just a big deal. And the shouts and the applause of all the people in the streets would would carry this guy uh, through the streets to the Temple of Jupiter where sacrifices would be offered and all that kind of stuff. And there was this public feast in the temple. So if you could close your eyes and imagine being a Roman citizen that day, you know, there was this... Uh, the, this war has been won, you know, this general's returned home, the whole city's turned out in the sunshine, right? They're, they're celebrating in the streets, they're, the, the, the smell of incense fills the air. I don't know if you've ever gone downstairs after our service, the other church burns incense, it gets quite strong, right? You smell these things, and, and as they are going through the streets, as the parade comes by, all these captives of war were, you know, paraded out front on display, and the kingdom has been expanded, peace reigns again, and people are joyous. And Paul, 
the Apostle Paul uses this imagery in reference to God's conquering work of the gospel as it pertains to the spiritual powers and the spiritual elements in the world which, which keep people captive to sin. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through, 14 through 16, it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's pri- triumphal procession. Now you know what this verse means, right? And uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's a good thought, right? For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death and to the other an aroma that brings life and who is equal to such a task. Now unlike the captives of a Roman general, the captives of Christ have been freed from spiritual oppression. They've found freedom. They've found life in Jesus. And they celebrate along with the other citizens on that street in joy, right? That there's this sense of celebration in us when we are taken captive by Christ. But there are people in the world who don't desire that capture. They, they don't desire coming under the lordship of Jesus. And they'd rather remain under their oppressor. And that's their choice. This imagery is also seen, seen in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, unlike a Roman general, we know that Jesus isn't conquering people in a militaristic manner or a militaristic style, is he? Rather, he is sweeping back the spiritual powers which uh, hold people captive from life. You know, by way of his own sacrifice on the cross, he's moving those things out that keep us blinded from him. And we know when we look at the gospel that the war has been won. Christ has won the war already. Although battles still rage on in the world, we're in the already in the not yet. The kingdom of God has already come, but it's not fu- yet fully come, right? Christ has broken the back of the enemy, and he is calling people out into life. He's calling people out into freedom in the world. That is the basic gospel, right? A benevolent God, a good God, bringing the aroma of life to all the peoples of the world, all nations, as it says in Matthew 28. And he's chosen... Interestingly enough, he's chosen to use us in this process. We are Christ's captives on display for others to see. We are Christ's captives on display for others to see. And all the introverts have a little bird at that moment because they're like, I don't like to be on display. (laughs) I don't want to be seen. Like, you know, we don't want to live in glass houses, right? I just bought this house right and we moved in and it's got windows everywhere and we haven't put up curtains yet and I you know you inevitably you feel like when you get dressed in the morning or at night especially at night when the lights are on inside and it's dark outside you're like everybody can see me right it feels weird to be on display but that's what God has done with us God works through his people to bless others We have a purpose in this whole thing. We're put on display for others to see Jesus and to see his work in the world, to see his work in our lives. In the plan of God, 
For some reason, he's chosen to use the weak, he's chosen to use the unskilled, ordinary humans to draw this world back to himself. And as we live in community, it is vital to remember the importance we play in God's mission to reach the world. It really is. I'm currently reading through the Bible in a year. I'm trying, at least. Sometimes I have to do catch-up because I miss a day or something like that. It's kind of hard to read through nine chapters when you've missed two days, right? But um, it's very apparent to me as I read the scriptures, it's really cool to, to, to read it in giant blocks and just to st- see the story unfold. God works through very, very ordinary people and sometimes very crazy, mixed-up people, right? Calling them out of a very ordinary existence to be his witnesses to the world. He began with Abram, who later became Abraham, right? Abraham promising to make his, his name great, promising to give him progeny that would just cover the earth, you know, that he would be a blessing to every people group in the world, right? The, you know, and, and that whole promise comes in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is a, a pivotal, powerful passage for all Christians in the world. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country and from your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now remember, Sarah, his wife, was old. And she couldn't have kids. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's the smell of death and the smell of life, even in these these verses, right? You know, a simple guy from the Ur of Chaldeans with with a barren wife, Genesis 1130 tells us that she couldn't have children at that point. He's a very unlikely candidate for building the people of God. Right? Because you've got to be able to have kids to, to do that in this promise that God has given him. Right? He's called out of everyday life to be the impetus for building the kingdom on earth, God's kingdom on earth, and to, and to set the stage for the coming Messiah. You will be a blessing to all nations of the earth. That's what it's referring to. And it reminds us of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, referring to the onlookers as they, and their impression of Peter and John. And they said this, when, it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the only distinctive that they had been with Jesus. That's the operative phrase, that they had been in the presence of Jesus. God can and God will use you as ordinary as you feel. I know some of you feel very ordinary. You don't feel up to the task. But he will use you as ordinary as you feel in bringing others to himself simply because you've been in the presence of Jesus. Simply because you have soaked him up and he's he's coming out of your pores in some way, shape, or form. I don't know, right? And this means that our actions, that our speech that our communication matter greatly in helping others to come to know Jesus, which we talked a lot lot about last week. 
It means owning our call, being about what Jesus has called us to. That we look at every opportunity, every situation, every conversation is divinely ordered. That there's something special about every little interaction we have. That Jesus is present in every moment of our lives with other people. That everything that we say, do, think, everything is spiritual. Making my bed is spiritual. Making my coffee is spiritual. How I speak to my wife, which I told you a little bit about last week, is spiritual in a good way or not. Right? It means that his last command does become our first concern. The Great Commission is seen in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which all you know all of you have already memorized, right? Remember? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Trinity, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's right there. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is the great commission on the church of God. Now we know that aroma is a powerful trigger, right? Smell has a powerful uh, trigger in us, it, either good or bad. Do you, know, do you know the best way to get a teenage boy out of bed in the morning? I have a 17-year-old son. He's my last. Thank God. One more year and I'm free. No, I'm just kidding. I love my son. I love having my son in my house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's, there's an easy way and there's a hard way. Watch this. Get up for school. Um, 
is so awkward. <laughs> that was probably probably a waste of a lot of time just for that little thing, that little point, right? But it was fun to do. Thanks to Aiden, my other son, who helped us make that. But but aroma, you know, smells and aroma can can be a powerful draw. Or it can be an extreme deterrent. I don't like the smell of wet dog, right? It just turns my stomach. I don't like it. Um, there are smells that attract us. There are smells that deter us. But we, as God's people who have given our lives to Christ, we are the aroma of the knowledge of God drawing people in to Christ, reminding them of their divine worth in Jesus, of how much they are actually loved and cared for and worth in his eyes. And God is using us to spread everywhere his knowledge in the, in the world to, be, to believers and unbelievers alike. We, I mean, we as believers need to be reminded of this stuff all, all the time, don't we? And as such, we need to be consistently spending time with people And we realize at that moment that proximity is important. So we don't seek quality time, right? We don't seek quality time. I know that doesn't seem to make sense right away. We seek quantity time. We said said this quite a bit at 6-8, and and maybe you haven't been here long enough to hear this, but this is something you're going to hear quite a bit. We, uh, given that quality time with, with people can't be manufactured, It doesn't work that way. We've got to have enough time in the room with people around others for them to see our lives, to hear our words, to experience our prayers, to see us how we interact with others, to to understand how we react to situations in life. Quality time comes out of quantity time spent with others. So even our fun, even the mundane moments of our existence with other people mean something. It is all spiritual. I was in a bad mood yesterday, and uh, Seth saw that, and I got to apologize to Seth, not because I really attacked Seth, but I was just snappy, and he needs to see me go through those moments. He needs to see me come back and say, dude, I was, I'm sorry. I was a little snappy, right? New people, new guests coming to our church are looking for a church home. They're looking for a spiritual family. They're looking for a community. So what a great opportunity it is to put Christ's love on display for others in our words and actions for them to see, right? And sometimes those are Christians looking for a home, uh, a new church home after moving here from some other place. God bless them. I'm glad they're coming here. And they need a warm welcome. They need our care. You don't just come here and find your own little clique of friends and then disregard everybody else. You say hi to people. You welcome them in. Community group leaders, you invite them to community group, don't you? Someone said to me this week that they are a a recovering evangelical. And I know what that means. I've been around the church long enough to know what that means, right? That they've had some unsavory experiences in churches and they're happy to finally be in a church where they feel safe and that they can grow. Amen. Amen that they feel that way. 
Other people come in, you know, in contact with us through, you know, either neighborhood or our 6-8 kingdom opportunities or work relationships or family members or whatever, and they're not Christ followers. They're not people that are saying that they're, they're, they're following Jesus yet, but they're drawn in nonetheless. They smell something here. They smell, maybe they smell it and they think, well, it's good community, right? It smells like good community to me. They don't understand that yet that it's actually the smell of Jesus, right? And they come and they belong before they believe, right? They're in transition and that's great. We, we are very happy for that. They also need a warm welcome. They also need our care. They need their room to ask the questions and all that kind of stuff. They need a place to be near Jesus as well. And sometimes you're the only one that smells like Jesus around them. Remember, your actions matter to guests, to newcomers in our church, uh, as well as to the people you come in contact with in your daily life. You're a captive of Christ, spreading everywhere the aroma of Jesus, wherever you go. And to to view yourself that way is a very different life, isn't it? But we are free in this whole process. We are free to allow people to decide or to choose whether or not you know, they're going to they're gonna participate in our church or not, whether or not they're going to participate with Jesus or not, whether or not they're, they're going to choose to follow him or not. We don't need to coerce anybody into a relationship with Jesus or towards Jesus. That's not our job. Some of us had that discussion this week in our community group uh, concerning some of the people that we know and we love and with whom we wish, we wish to you know, be a witness for Jesus in their lives, right? We, and we've realized that although we need to be responsible and although we need to be proactive in our words and our actions towards them, it, the business of turning a heart towards Jesus is really the job of uh, the transformational power of the word of God, the transformational power of the spirit of God. It has very little to do with me. I can't really do that. So what that means is for every one conversation or every one interaction I have with someone that doesn't know Jesus yet, I spend like five times in prayer for them, right? Because our prayer coupled with our witness and our words affect them much more than a simple argument, you know, some logical argument. Since people are complicated, arguments are rarely helpful and they typically, like we talked about last week, drive wedges into relationships. People are often not really driven by logic, but by the emotional weeds that grow up in a person's heart from past experience, from hurt, from faulty teaching even. and We're all kind of pickled in a culture that is contrary to Jesus. We really are. And as Christians, we naturally seek to live our lives differently, set apart. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from people out there. It means that we live differently. We think differently. We are set apart. We are called higher into Christ, into purity, into holiness, reflective of his faithfulness and fidelity as seen with God in relationship to the church. Jesus calls us to be reflective in our lives of his pure and holy character and nature, right? 
And sometimes in that, people will reject us because of this different lifestyle, this different belief set, this different way of thinking. And our good deeds and our faithful service will be perceived incorrectly. You know, as Christians, we say that we, we honor the sanctity of marriage, that, that we can... We, we, we wait until our marriage day to engage in physical sexual activity. That is such a contrary thought to, to society these days. But there are very spiritual reasons for it. They are reflective of something in the God, in God's relationship with the church. They are good for us to practice restraint and self, uh, self-restraint in these areas. We think differently than people, Right? The sad fact is that your words and your act- actions can be easily be misconstrued or misinterpreted. You don't have, you have very little control of it. A pastor's life is filled with this, by the way, because inevitably we preach a sermon six months ago and then somebody comes to you six months later and says, you know, six months ago in your sermon, you said blah, 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 blah. And they've been hurt and they've been harboring this and they've been living their life from it this whole time because they've misunderstood. You, you never meant to communicate that in your sermon. You've got like 30 minutes, sometimes 40, 45, I know. To communicate these things, and it's you know, and it's you have very little control about how people are going to take it. You have very little control as to whether or not you're going to be construed as the aroma of life or the smell of death. (laughs) But again, their heart reaction isn't up to you, your responsibility ends with staying in close proximity to Jesus. That's your responsibility. Reflecting him as best you can in words and action and attitude. As we say here at 6 eight, we want to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus. If, I, if somebody stumbles because of this whole thing, I want them to stumble over Jesus and not because I was a jerk, Right? And so as we follow Jesus and we live out of his grace, this frees us from any need or pressure to, to, to make others follow him. That's not my job. Some will accept him, some will reject him, and others are in process of deciding. And that's okay. We sometimes need to be faithful in listening to the Spirit in our witness towards others, right? Right? At times we need to move on, as it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Now that's not prescriptive of every interaction, by the way. Because at other times we need to remain faithful uh, to people realizing that they are in process, right? Right? So we pull our view back from them from two feet away and we view them from 10,000 feet above and we realize that, that you know, God may be moving in their hearts you know, over a long period of time, over a decade, over two decades or whatever it is. And he needs us to stay in proximity, exuding the, the aroma of Christ in their lives over, over years, not just in one conversation, but th- that's a leading of the spirit that takes practice in understanding and discerning. It's natural to have opposition to the gospel. 
So we don't have we don't have the need to coerce someone into becoming a Christian because ultimately it's Jesus who does the work in their heart. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, it says, this is what we speak. Listen to these verses. I love this passage. Not in words taught, but taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. I love this. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. There's something about the spirit speaking into me and through me. That's a power issue. That's not a knowledge issue. It is a knowledge issue in the sense of knowing the word of God, right? But it is really a power issue. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Oh, you're not going to sleep with your girlfriend before you get married? Why would, that's crazy. You got to know if you're sexually compatible. No, you don't. By the way, everybody's sexually compatible. (laughs) Slot A or flap A fits into slot B, right? We all know that. I mean, let's just be honest. It's the truth. But that's considered foolishness. Foolishness, craziness. And, all right, so spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. There is a depth to what we, we choose to believe as Christians. There's a, a depth and a reason why we choose to follow these things. It, and, it's, and it's much more, it cannot be explained often in one conversation. It has to be lived out and experienced and dug, dug into over a long period of time. We're so quick to throw out ancient things, but they're ancient for good reason, because they work. So maturing Christians develop a spidey sense, right? To hearing the Holy Spirit's direction. We don't simply rely on human arguments and Socratic methods of discourse, right? That's not what we do. Rather, we are prayerful people who listen to the Spirit's leading in conversation with other people, asking for direction in our witness with people. We're interactive. I've been in many situations where I've listened to someone speak about something in a very highly emotional way, and as I listen, I realize, boy, there's no way arguing them out of this one, right? They are locked in. And I pray And the Spirit says, bring up this verse or ask them this question. And suddenly, in a split second, it's like the whole situation. Suddenly, you find yourself not in a contest of, you know, uh, issue or intellect, but you find yourself in a spiritual triage session for somebody's heart. Suddenly, they go from ranting angry to just crying and in need. That's Spirit's power. We address the spiritual malady of the soul, which is sometimes buried under a veneer of issues and fear and anger and hurt and pain, which the Spirit has to lead us through to get what's really driving at a person's reactions. I thought about it this morning. It's like, what what was the guy's name, the uh, Star Wars guy? No, the, the guy that flew into the Death Star. It's new Luke Skywalker, yeah. Kook Skyswalker, right? 
That was, that was in uh, Spaceballs. Kook Skyswalker. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. But it's, it's, like, it's like flying your plane down that trench, right? And you're being fired at and you're, 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 you're avoiding this and that. And, and, you know, gosh, like the chances of getting that bomb right down that little shaft is next to nothing. It's a spiritual issue. And so you're praying when you're, in, you're, you're discussing the heart of another person. And suddenly Jesus just drops that thing right down that chute and it implodes the whole thing. And somebody opens up. That's power evangelism. It's a very different thing. Jesus said in Mark 9, 37, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Do you ever feel grown up? I thought I would feel 52, like at 52, I'd feel very different. I don't feel that grown up. We are all sort of hurt little children internally, right? We are all in need of love and acceptance and healthy community and reconciliation with God. We all need that. And so we invite people into this journey of faith no matter their starting point and realizing we're not perfect in it either. And so it's why we say to people, come as you are, but leave transformed by Jesus. And sometimes people leave and they say, you know what, I just can't do this. I don't want the lordship of Christ over my life. That's their choice. Our job as members of this local congregation is to be welcoming to all people, to, and especially those who are exploring faith or membership in a church body. We want them to assimilate into this church. The church is a wonderful thing when done right. And as we welcome people, Jesus will do the work in their heart to convict them or draw them into this church in his timing and and to repair and and transform their lives. Remember, Jesus said in John 12, 32, and when, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Isn't that a great image? He's lifted up on that cross and all faces look up at him. Some people have simply uh, not seen Jesus lifted up for them yet. And our culture is increasingly like that. There is increasingly more and more people that have never been into church, never heard this message. They think they have, but they have not. A missionary friend of mine uh, last week was staying at my house and he, re- he was reacting very strongly to a recent Barna poll which says that a large majority of Christians, like 60, 70% of Christians these days don't even know what the Great Commission is in Matthew 28, that they they don't even understand it. They've never heard the term. They've never read the verse. They don't even know what it calls the church to do. Although Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is one of the central passages for the Christian life. Take a look at this video. This is from Penn Jillette of comedy duo Penn & Teller. I love this. I just found the video. I always knew the quote, but... This is a little bit long, but watch. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. 
And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, 
and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Do you hear that? You know, that was a good witness. And I don't think it was ineffectual. It obviously made an impression. And that video has gone out for other people to hear and see. And it's a challenge to me. I used to be really uncomfortable in Jakarta. We would get in these taxi cabs with my friend. My friend would start sharing the gospel with the taxi driver. And it, like every person he came around, he just shared the gospel. I was like, dude, shut up. You know, like it was just a little much sometimes it felt like. But I respected him. I, I, at that point in my life, I, I was a missionary, but I still was a little uncomfortable just bringing it up. He was very good at it. And he cared enough to share the gospel. If our focus is one degree off of Jesus, there's a growing gap between us and him. Over time, we go farther and farther away. In losing our proximity to Jesus, our divine aroma dissipates, right? Indignation and self-righteousness set into us, and we become just another shouting voice in the cacophony of society. I don't want that. I want to be the aroma of Christ. So the answer is that all of us must be deeply committed to our own spiritual formation in Christ. And that's why we developed and announced all of our spiritual formation people, our spiritual mentors last week, because we want to develop tools. We want to, we want to have people that have gone through training. We want people to be discipling one another. We need resources to be personally walking this out in discipleship with others. We need to do this as a body. We need to walk with Jesus very closely. Since it's easy to replace Jesus even with very noble issues. But that's called idolatry. And when idolatry sets in, the result is that we forfeit our influence on people. We lose our aroma. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. But I am saying you lose your effectiveness. God's blessing to us and the world means that we can display his love to other people around us to guess without putting pressure on them to respond. That's not our, our point that they respond or not. So be the blessing to others, right? Care enough to be Jesus to people. Lift him up in your life in all ways. And pray that people will be drawn in to him as a result of the aroma of Christ exuding from us and from our church. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have great purposes and you have, you know, there's, there's something beyond just our career or getting through school or paying off that debt or what car we want to buy. 
or whether my kid is going in the right direction or not. There are greater things at, at hand here. There is the salvation of souls. There is the sense that this is urgent, that you love us and you've called us to show that love to others, to draw them into relationship with you. So Father, use us. Let us be close to you. Let us walk hand in hand with you. Let us spend our mornings with you, listening to your word. Let us prayerfully be about you when we are in conversation with others. Let us exude you, pour out of us. Romans 15, 13, overflow out of us as we walk with you. 